Hey, bowlers, bowling this month is back. Bowling this month is bowling's trusted technical resource that's relied upon by thousands of serious bowlers, pro shop operators, and professional coaches. From independent ball reviews to great instructional articles on all facets of our sport, you'll find it all at bowlingthismonth.com. For less than the price of a cup of coffee per month, you can have online access to Bowling This Month's premium technical bowling content that will help you improve your game. Bowling This Month is so confident you'll be satisfied, they're offering a 14-day money-back guarantee to all subscribers. Check out BowlingThisMonth.com and sign up today. Now is the time to reinforce your bowling arsenal, and BowlerX.com is the online leader in price, service, and selection. With free insured shipping on every item we carry, including a complete line of pro shop supplies, as well as balls, bags, shoes, accessories, and more. Also check out the large selection of closeout and discontinued items at a fraction of their original cost. BowlerX.com, your online bowling superstore and proud sponsor of Above180.com. You can hear Above 180 on Stitcher Smart Radio. Stitcher allows you to listen to your favorite shows directly from your iPhone, Android phone, Kindle Fire, and beyond, on demand and on the go. Don't have Stitcher? Download it for free at Stitcher.com or in the app stores. Stitcher Smart Radio, the smarter way to listen to radio. BowlerX.com, your online bowling equipment superstore, presents the Above180.com podcast. Tim Berg is ready to hit the lanes, approaching the issues that you, the bowler, want to know. From the latest equipment reviews, coaching, to drilling layouts, and the stars of the PBA. Now, here's your host, Tim Berg. So I had a chance yesterday to sit down and chat with Stu Williams on at the Brunswick Bowl in Glendale, Arizona. In the effort of keeping things flowing, I just got right into the interview with Stu. Figured I'd come back to the studio and do an intro for Stu. But uh, as you all know, Stu has one career PBA title. Stu has earned titles in nine different countries and has bowled 300 in 12 different countries. So, Stu, I want to thank you for joining me today on the Above180.com podcast. Hey, how's it going, Tim? Going well, sir. Thanks. This has been a long time coming. We've been talking about trying to get together, and it's just one of those things. You're always the life of a bowler. You're always out doing something. You're always out bowling some event. So let's begin there, because sometimes people, I think, that, you know, think this glamorous what you're doing out here bowling. But just talk about how glamorous it is sometimes during the summer when you're driving six or eight hours in the car, having to get to each of these events, and then, you know, basically, frankly, in your opinion, having to probably win the event in order to make it worth your while. Yeah, I mean, I don't tend to drive too much. I'm a I'm a big flying guy. I do 100,000 miles a year flying. So um, pretty much the only places I drive are like Vegas and then the World Series just because the convenience of being able to take all your equipment with you and, you know, being in Reno. And, you know, there's some kind of cool things to do in Reno if you can get out. So it's nice to have the car. All right, well, let's begin. Talk about, I guess, your early life in bowling and what really got you into the sport. Um, well, I actually used to um, play a, um, a British game called Crown Green Bowls, and um, it's only really a summer sport because you play on grass. So um, a bowling center opened up when I was about 12, and uh, me and my dad decided that we'd find something we could do in the winter to get out of the house to get under, from under my mother's feet. Awesome. Um, one of the biggest things, too, now that we're seeing, who is probably then back then, who was your biggest influence on bowling? What made you want to pick up the bowling ball? I didn't really have any influences on that. It was just me and my father were trying to do something and it was an indoor sport that was in some ways, you know, similar hand-eye coordination to, to bowls. So we thought, you know, I'd give it a try. And 
we, we, we both, as I say, we both started at the same time. We both had some fun with it and, you know, we rolled from there with junior leagues and stuff like that. All right, moving along, talking about adjustments. Mm -hmm. I'm curious as to every every person has their opinion on how they make their adjustments, how they what they see, what they don't see. So talk about your adjustments and how your is it some stuff we're going to get into later regarding ball reps and what what they're able to see for you guys as well when they're watching. But talk about just you specifically when you see something on the lane, what your adjustments are. Is it to ball down or is it to take something and move left and get get away from that area, a part of the lane, or is it on an individual basis? I mean that's a bit that that's that question's a bit like how long is a piece of string because I mean there there are so many variables that you've got to take into consideration like the traffic you know where where, where people are playing on the lanes what type of pattern you're playing on what type of wall you're playing on what type of lane surface you know whether you're playing are, are, are you using like more speed or less speed you know th th things like that you know is, is are the balls you're using really smooth are they like quicker response balls so you got to take all of that into consideration I mean. For me, I tend to use speed a lot more than maybe a lot of the other guys do. Um, so I, I, I tend to try and change speeds quite a bit. And then um, and then depending on what we're playing on, the harder the lanes are, the less I tend to change ball. Because I feel like when the lanes are hard, you want something that's more predictable. And I feel like me making changes with my hand is more predictable. But like when the lanes are a lot easier, I think I find that in general, and I mean we're talking in general terms here, I, I find that changing ball tends to um, be, a, a, be a better move because you want to be doing something that you're most comfortable at because, you know, strikes are what you need, you know. Nine isn't going to get you very far when you need to average like 245 or 250. So finish this statement for me. My A game is when I can play. I don't really have an A game. Explain that. Well, I don't, I mean, it depends, like, it, 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 sometimes I'm bowling really good bowling straight, and other times I'm really good throwing it, you know, really slow and hooking it. I mean, I don't, I, I don't really know what I'd be most comfortable at. I guess it depends on what we're bowling on. Let's move on to the PBA Tour. There's a lot of discussion, and there's been discussion on what can bring the PBA Tour back, in quotation marks. Uh, there's talk of even, uh, there was talk, or is talk of tour trials, going back to the old way it was, where you had an exempt tour, you had the rabbit squads, you had all that sort of stuff. you have any thoughts on that, and what uh, what can be done? Um, I, uh, I, I don't know. There are a lot smarter people than I am who know a lot more about it, trying to figure out a solution for what we need to do. I think the main thing is the the bowlers out there support the tour, and you know, everybody tries to stay as positive as possible because, you know, if we're all pulling in a different direction and everybody's voicing a different opinion on what would be better or worse, then it doesn't necessarily help the situation overall. Um, I mean, it, it, it's very difficult because it's it's the ultimate chicken and the egg situation, you know. If we have 85 people playing, then sponsors probably aren't going to come in, and if sponsors aren't going to come in, then probably not more than 85 people are going to want to bowl, so... It's, it's very back and forth. As a bowler, I'm guessing you're a fan of long-form tournaments. Is that, is that a fair statement? Yeah. Um, I, I think the thing is, with the long format, it gives, it gives you more time to, um, to get into the tournament. You, you, there's not as much pressure to make quick changes, you know, and 
I, I, I don't know that there's as much luck based as other people think in the shorter formats. I just think that that the people who have a natural matchup earlier are gonna there's less chance to mess it up, so to speak. So that doesn't necessarily mean that a guy who's who isn't a good bowler is gonna win. It just means that there's less chance for them to make errors because there's less games. So there was there was talk and seen different things said about how things went for the uh, tournaments up in Detroit, where the you know they're basically six game six game tournaments. You guys bowled, you bowled, you bowled. Any thoughts on that? Would you maybe go to an eight game? Are you okay with six and let the chips fall where they may? Um, I think that however many games they pick, people are going to say they want to bowl more games. So I, the answer is I don't know. I mean, I, I'd prefer we bowl more games, but I don't necessarily know that that's going to be the be-all and end-all of, um, of, of, of getting more entries. I mean, it's professional bowling, so we should be looking at the thing that's going to get, you know, try, try, try and get the most people playing and, the most, um, and generate the most entertainment for the fans. So that's the one thing that I do hear from fans sometimes is, gosh, I go into these tournaments and I got to go there and I had to sit and watch eight hours of bowling. I mean, it's you watch an NFL game. You're a big Patriots fan. You watch an NFL game, and it's three hours. And that best team may not always win that game, but in the long haul, that best team is going to end up ultimately winning the you know winning the Super Bowl, going to the playoffs, etc. Can we correlate any of that with bowling? No. Completely different. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, is like team sports that are one on one are just they're, they're not comparable. And like I'd argue that. A lot of the time, at least there's something always going on in, in the bowl, and there isn't a commercial break while we're bowling a regular tour stop. So, I mean, hell, I think an NFL game is a bad example, but baseball struggling from somewhat of the same thing with it being five hours and you know and not much happening. But I, I, I don't know. I mean, the the answers. I mean, it's hard to say which is the right thing because if we don't have that many fans coming, then. Are we better to change the format of the tournament to try and encourage more people to turn up, or are we better to try and make the formats um, more grueling so that the best players come through and then you can build it? Like, you know, there's a reason why Pete Weber and Norm Duke have a lot of fans, it's because they're on TV like hundreds of times. Like, that's why they've got notoriety amongst the fans. I mean, Pete's a fantastic bowler, but if Pete made TV 15 times his entire career, he could have the same personality as he's got now and he wouldn't have any fans. And Jeff Riggles did a great piece, which I'm going to link up in the context here, regarding the U.S. Open and uh, some of the changes going on with ball choices, how much ball, how, many, how much equipment you can bring. You mentioned earlier, one of the tournaments you do drive to is when it's in Vegas. Well, lucky for you, the U.S. Open is in Vegas at South Point starting early part of November. So... Talk about that, and talk about just the eight-choice ball limit that is, you know, that was implemented by the USBC. And if this is, you know, if this is the right direction for the USBC to be going, um, I mean, I, I, I don't know whether it's the right direction or not. I mean, for me personally, I, I don't think it, it hinders me personally in the tournament. So from, from me sitting on with my hat of the director of Stuart Williams Bowling Incorporated, then it's not a bad thing, but. I don't know that it's necessary. I, I, the problem is, is with a lot of these decisions, we don't know necessarily what the end goal was. So it's hard to say whether it's a right or a wrong decision. Like it hasn't, it hasn't helped them with entries, but maybe that wasn't what 
Chad was doing it for. So I, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I'm very much one way. I, I, I don't know what the right answer is, so it's difficult. I would think a guy like you, you're going to make it work with aid. From traveling overseas in bowling, you're used to traveling with that limited equipment base and being able to work with what you need to. Well, but that's what I'm saying. From my point of view, it's fine. But like from the tournament point of view, is it really helping the situation? I, I don't know. But like I say, I don't know whether Chad was more interested in making it a uh, quote-unquote fairer, which I, I mean, fair is just... Fair is a word that just doesn't really exist because there isn't an answer for fair. So, I mean, we'll see. Bigger, bigger part too that was also brought up in that piece was the altering of surfaces. Yeah, and that's the thing that we've been seeing with USBC going towards with the, you know, the Open Championships doing this uh, now for you guys. Now that's the thing where honestly I think the education of amateurs, if this could help them, is to be able to manipulate their surfaces because a lot of times what I see when I watch you guys bowl from the stuff on extra frame, from even just watching a tournament, is it's your surface. It's not always the ball. It's what that surface of that equipment is. So talk about that and how that's really going to change. And the way I understand the rules. Once once you go into that paddock, come out of the paddock, you guys can't be touching the surfaces. Is that accurate? Yeah, so we can change them before each round, but once we get going, we can't change the surface. Once we start practice, because usually we'd be able to change the surface up until the second we bought one ball for score, and now we can't change the ball once we throw one ball for practice. So that's the direction they went. I don't necessarily agree with it. I, I think it's kind of dumb, but it's, you know, I, I guess they're trying to solve one problem by doing this, but I think it's caused more problems than it's solved. But like I say about a lot of things, Chad, uh, if I liken it to when we watch on a Sunday, when we watch the NFL on a Sunday, Chad's got the red zone package and he's got the coaches film and he's got the all 22 and we've just got the six screens that we get to watch. He gets to see it from all angles and you've got to, you, you've got to put your trust in one guy to do it and he's the guy who's in charge right now and I mean for as many decisions that I don't like that Chad's done there's been some that I thought didn't work and then later on they had worked and I like the fact that he's willing to you know justify why he's done these things and like I say I don't know that every decision he's made I mean he knows full well that every decision he's going to make isn't right it's the same with everybody else nobody's right 100% of the time it's impossible to be right 100% of the time but you know we'll see how this goes and then no doubt we'll make another change for the next time we bowl because that's what they did from last time to this time so we'll see one of the things that in, in doing the interview that myself and Steve Clemson did with Steve with Chad on the Storm Collegian Spotlight is because the same thing was for the college tournaments is it seemed like in Chad's opinion these patterns the patterns are being designed by Nick Hoagland and they were being blown up per se by the college kids either taking you know 360 grit and doing something they shouldn't you know what in his opinion again not yeah. saying I agree but saying is that is that where you think he's trying to go the same way with you guys because you guys could kind of carve out and air quotes a pattern even though realistically that's only going to help you that first game because you move pairs anyways yeah I mean I think there's a big difference between college bowling and professional bowling I mean like you know <laughs> I mean I, I just don't see that there isn't a one-size-fits-all answer and I think that professional bowling is different I mean you know 
but it seems like USB-C is trying to have have it kind of that way, where it is a one one size. Whether when you're coming up through the ranks and no, also no, I, I that that does seem exactly what they're doing. And, you know, like while what what we're very grateful for them putting up the tournaments, and you know, I'm a professional bowler, so I'm I'm going to turn up to a tournament they put on because they they've put on a good prize fund, they've supported the bowlers, and you know, these things in, in a greater scale for a bowler are fairly irrelevant. I mean, I just don't think that it's the right way to go, but it's not going to stop me from not bowling at all. You had some interesting comments also in, in Jeff's piece we've been alluding to here regarding ball reps. There's been a talk of those guys, you know, of how much do they provide, how much versus they don't provide. And I think a lot of that gets, uh, how much you use use the guys that Storm and Norto get? I mean, I, I use them, but what I, what I was trying to explain in, Del's, in, uh, in Jeff's piece is that We've got three guys there, and we've got probably 25 guys a squad. So realistically, that means that we'd get a game each. If they worked from the second they started, and they worked perfectly for eight games, well, that's impossible. They'd kill themselves if they did that. They have to take a break. So, and like, again, not everybody's right. So I was trying to explain to Jeff that like, the ball rep isn't the difference between a guy missing the cut and a guy winning the tournament. Not in qualifying. It just, it isn't. Like, they can help, they help us, you know, with balls and, and like, strategy before we start. And, like, when we're out there, if we've got, like, major problems, they can make suggestions. But I, I just think that, like, it's the difference between you being, if you're bowling well that week and you just can't quite see it, then they can push you over the line. So you could go from, like, being like a guy who was going to be 28, they can get you as the round robin for sure. But like, to make it sound like the way some of these amateur guys are saying, like, well, I can't possibly compete because I haven't got a ball rep. That's just nonsense. The reason you can't compete is because you can't make as many good shots a game as the guys who are the best in the world. Like, and if you bowl really well that week, whether you've got a ball rep or not, then you're probably going to make it. And what I was saying to Jeff as well is, is I think that the ball reps are really useful for us. Uh, to help us out in the match playing in TV terms, but when you've got that far already, then you've made good choices. So that's what I was trying to explain to them. I mean, they're definitely they're definitely helpful. There's no doubt about that, and they're definitely going to help us, you know, with understanding the information about which part of the center is like going to hook more or hook less. But there isn't one guy who's not bold without a ball rep and been successful because that's kind of why they're in that situation now. So. I, I just think that it's it, it's like a small portion that pushes the best bowlers over the line. It isn't something that takes a guy who's middle of the road, middle of the field, and turns him into a guy who's going to be in the top ten. That just isn't the difference. Is it just another excuse, let's just be honest, that amateurs try to use and say, well, if I had this guy, I had someone helping me, I'd be great. Or if I could drill up 15 balls on the truck, I'd be great too. Yeah, I mean ifs and buts like you know if they bowled 100 games a week and practice then maybe they'd have different results as well and I fully appreciate that guys you know have to <laughs> have to work a 9 to 5 job and they're not going to be able to practice as much as I am but that's because this is my 9 to 5 job so like in what other in what other sport like they don't complain that like you know a guy a guy who plays who, who plays golf three times a week 
like he he, he isn't out there complaining that he that he can't be the best golfers in the world and it's not fair because you know titleists give that guy free clothes but they don't give him free clothes like that doesn't happen why is it happening in bowling well you mentioned practice i see you in here all the time practicing we're taping this inside a bowl right now i see you in here all the time practicing um Talk about how people sometimes, though, they practice, but they practice the wrong things. Whereas when you come out, what, what are you what are you looking for when you're practicing? I, I, I think that it, to start with, I think that from, uh, from most people, if they just came and practiced once a week, that would be helpful, regardless of whether they were doing, quote, unquote, the right or wrong things. Um, but it's just, for me, like, I think the thing with practices is you've got to have, like, a like a key goal of what you're trying to do with that practice session and sometimes that can be just you know you're just trying to get your rhythm back and like so you're not necessarily going to be focusing on like an exact thing you're just trying to get the feel back to be back in time and rhythm and and then there's other times when you know you're bowling really great and you just you just want to top off your practice and just keeping that rhythm but conversely you know you'll come and sometimes like you know you'll bowl a tournament the previous weekend and like I don't know, you, you've had to play like pretty much you can't give the pocket away. You've, you've had to bowl super straight, like, you know, like 7-7, seven, seven. you know, almost give, pushing it at the pocket and you've sucked doing it. Well, then I'm going to come down here and that's all I'm going to practice for two hours because you've got to figure out a solution and add that to your, you know, repertoire tricks so that you're not in that situation again. Like, I think that's what a lot of the guys are doing now on tour, like a lot of those, a lot of the guys, there's there's way less guys who are just good at one thing now, I think. I think a lot of those guys are seeing, and maybe it's because we have less opportunities to bowl, and you know, you don't want to be miss out because you don't have the skill, the requisite skills to play on that pattern, but you know, it just seems like the younger guys are uh, more focused on adding more tricks to their, uh, their bag now than they were when I came on tour because I mean like Norm Duke has always been able to do a million different things like but he wasn't he wasn't like someone just gifted it to him when he was 17 and said oh Norm you're gonna be able to hook the whole lane and throw it straight and, and do all these things well it's because he's worked on it like you know and, he, and he's got that in his brain over what he can do and what he can't do and sometimes the most important thing when you bowl is knowing what you can't do because you don't want to put yourself in a situation where you're doing something you suck at. I mean, that's just that, that, that's just pointless because you end up putting yourself behind the eight ball. One of your Rotograph uh, Rotograph teammates I had a chance to talk to uh, Connor Pickford. Did a, did an interview with Connor and he talked about some of the changes he made. And he really felt like in Detroit he he was trying to work on what you were alluding to, where he felt like in Detroit he struggled with things. But just talk about what what you've seen in his game. From afar, you know, and as, as you got to know him, as you guys are, you know, both part of Rotogrip. Um, yeah, I mean, Con- Connor's another guy who's, you know, he's, he's really keen. He's, he's, uh, he's working in, uh, in Dallas, I believe, with Dino in the pro shops now. And I think he's, you know, he's got that knowledge base from the pro shop side of it. So now he's trying to apply that to understanding better, you know, putting his hand in different positions. And he was, he was definitely like... Two, two or three years ago he was really good at that one thing where he'd just stand left and now he's you know I, I, I can definitely see where he's adding things to his game you know I mean I'm sure he's not where he wants to be but none of us are you know I think you know you look at Jason he's every time you see him he's he's trying to improve something different you know 
bowling can be very very humbling. You can think you're bowling really well, and then four games later, you realise that you're not. So that's that. That's the cool thing about the sport, and I, I think that Connor's understood that, and you know, and he's trying to add more and more things to his game. Two more questions here. I uh, appreciate the time, uh, Stu Williams. Uh, first one being, you, you mentioned Jason a few times. A lot of people give Jason so much grief for the two-handed approach and being really him and Oscar, the two you know, guys overseas who, who really started it. Um, and, and yeah, and Jesper as well um, as of late now. So, t- But talk about how you've seen Jason's game improve from when he first started the two-handed approach and delivery to now. Oh, I mean, like, he's probably improved tenfold over where he was five years ago. I mean, now his, his approach is so much slower, you know, he's so much more under control. I mean, like, it's it's kind of, it's almost kind of strange to say it, but like, he's the best bowler in the world, but to some people he's almost underrated. Because people just don't give him credit because they want to say, because he bowls two-handed, or because he does this, or because he does that, or because of this, or that, you know. You know, it's all bullshit. It's just trying to, trying to, people trying to justify the reason why he's better than they are. I mean, he just does some amazing things, and, you know, and he's the, you know, he's what we're aiming to be, you know. You know, just because he's not, he's not the best bowler this year. I mean, yes, Spencer's a runaway leader for player of the year this year. I mean, but that doesn't necessarily mean that Jason isn't the best bowler. It's a bit like LeBron didn't win MVP, but nobody wants Steph Curry before they want LeBron. Final question. You and your wife, Tina, gave birth. Your wife, Tina, gave birth. You didn't. Uh, gave birth to a son, Brady. Yeah. Um, talk about how that's added some perspective to, to bowling and to life in general. Um, well, I'll tell you what, it hasn't added. It hasn't added sleep. Um, yeah, I mean, we were both, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's still kind of surreal when you just look down at him. Uh, it was kind of cool, I bowled less uh, two weeks ago at the Arizona Masters and he was there and well won. And, you know, it was the first time he was there when I bowled, so. Yeah, it, it's, it's been really cool so far. And, you know, hopefully he'll learn how to sleep through the night sooner rather than later and then uh, we can get back on track. But yeah, it's, it, it's, it's, it's definitely a, uh, a definitely surreal and you know no matter what you do at a tournament he's gonna he, he's still you're still the king of his uh, king of his world and he's still gonna be there and love you and still want you to change his poopy diaper right yeah yeah definitely <laughs> change his poopy diaper but I think he's a bit of a mummy's boy so we'll see all right Stuart Williams I want to thank you for joining me again here on the above180.com podcast and uh, all the best uh, final I said final question I always ask when I have a guy on from a, from a company from a brand what they like in their line storm and roto grip obviously you're a roto grip guy you throw storm as well what are you liking now I got I know they got some new releases coming up but what are you liking in the roto grip line right now um, I'm a really big fan of the no rules I mean the ball you know, I mean, the first tournament I went to, I I, uh, I bowled in uh, in Madrid, and it was it was kind of incredible. I, I could just pull a part of the lane that nobody else could. And it was basically just because the ball was so much stronger than everything else. I mean, it seems to continue really well for me. Uh, I've I've really enjoyed that ball. So yeah, the no rules is is is, is great right now, and haywires still st- still you know that that really smooth con- controllable type motions really doing well for me so I, I like both those balls a lot. Awesome. Thanks again Stu. No problem.
And a final note, I want to remind folks, check out bowlingthismonth.com. You can see the ball review there for the no rules. You heard Stu's thoughts on the ball and uh, uh, lots of other great ball reviews as well. Check out their latest and greatest articles. Got an email thing where you can sign up to receive uh, articles and all sorts of great stuff just right into your inbox so you can uh, join the other 17,000-plus people have signed up for that. So don't want to miss out on that. Some great stuff. Again, it's bowlingthismonth.com, bowlingthismonth.com. 